Uh, as it uh, is up on the board, we are studying the Nazarite vow in the book of Numbers. If you're visiting with us, we are going through the book of Numbers a little bit different. We're looking at different lessons in the book of Numbers and see how they apply to us. Almost the whole chapter in chapter 6 is devoted to the Nazarite vow. Why do you think that happened? I mean, a lot of people get it confused and think Jesus was a Nazarite, but he was from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene, right? He wasn't a Nazarite. So why do you think the importance of making a whole chapter in the Bible about the Nazarite vow? Bruce says it's a very sacred vow. It's a good way to put it, isn't it? Important to the people and to the Lord. Anything else? We would later see some other characters in the Bible who are under this vow. Exactly. So, so it's not just in numbers is the point, too. So we see other people, and we'll talk about a couple of them. Anything else? I didn't pay Jonathan to say that. But that's exactly where we're going with it. Part of it is, is we don't technically make a vow, but we do commit ourselves, don't we, to, to Christ, to God. So here is a commitment that, that someone's making. <clears throat> when you look at Amos 2 and verse 11 and 12, which I've got up here, It says, I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so? O you children of Israel, says the Lord, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets saying, do not prophesy. So here is Amos talking uh, about the Nazarites and the prophets and what does he say about them in this in these couple of verses. You can't read my mind. Your own people corrupted you, didn't they? Your own people told you, go ahead and drink the wine. Your own people say, don't prophesy. You know, when you, when you look at that and you think of Matthew 23, we see the woes To who in Matthew 23? The Pharisees, didn't it? And if you look at from 29 to 36 is what I wrote down, it talks about the the way they handled the prophets. Of course, they always wanted the best of seats and everything. They didn't care about the prophets because that went against the Pharisees, didn't it? And then when you go to Acts 20 and 28... What is said to the Ephesian elders? They say everything's going to be okay. What's going to happen? And and it's savage wolves, isn't it? So there's something coming from the outside, so there is a warning about the savage wolves. But there was even a more important part of those verses. It says, and I'm paraphrasing, among you, which means what? Just like the Israelites up here, 
among you, they're going to come in and say what? Perverse words that will try to do what? Draw the disciples away, wouldn't it? So it's no different. We Just like David says, we see issues throughout the Bible that kind of come together. But here is something in Amos that gives us a look at the Nazarites and said that even people tried to go against them even though they made, as Bruce said, this sacred vow. Any comments about that verse? When you actually look at the words in this, the Hebrew nazar is, is actually what the Nazarite is. It's a consecrated or devoted one, a devotee, or it was interesting that um, Brown, Driver, and Briggs said an untrimmed vine. What do you think that made reference to? To the hair. When you look at the word vow, it, in vines, it talked about a conditional and an unconditional. The unconditional binds without expecting anything in return, like I vowed to take care of this. I'm not getting a return. Generally, though, the conditional has a preceding clause giving the conditions. You know, you're, you're vowing something to the Lord if the Lord will do something or if somebody will do something. And it's got to come to pass before the vow becomes valid. And in Hebrew, that is N-E-D-E-R, neder, which is the votive or um, actual, the object of it. One thing that, that you probably haven't read, and I couldn't find it in the text, but I've looked at some of their, what they call their normal laws or their laws that they would call, that the rabbis would put together. They put on here that it was two kinds of people that did this, people that did it for a lifetime, which David was talking about, and people that would do it probably for 30 days or more or less even or a year or less or things. So there was different time factors on how they would do these vows. And when they finished the vow, there were certain things that they had to do. Well, when you go a little farther with the vows, usually it was <coughs> a serious situation. Why, why from what your thoughts of the vows? Because uh, Leland just did du- judges and he went over Jephthah, his vow. That was not the best vow that you could do, right? What was the situation that he made the vow? Does anybody remember? It was Thanksgiving for the Right, but, but mainly he was worried about going into battle, wasn't he? If I remember right, if Leland did a good job, which he did with Jephthah. And we, we said he kept the vow. So there, there's a situation that it's serious enough that you need help. You know, when you transfer this over to us, as Jonathan said with a Christian, what's a serious situation? that we, If you're not a Christian, isn't that serious? <laughs> That's a serious situation, isn't it? That's what's called a hopeless situation, isn't it? Not only serious, but hopeless. So kind of like Jonathan said, a comparison. 
the vow, according to Vines, too, was made to God. When we decide to become obedient to Christ, we're obedient to God, aren't we? Our, our whole thrust is to be Christ-like. We wear the name Christian. Same thing with the Nazarite vow. It was made to God. It was oriented to be servant of God. The other thing that's important, and we understand this, that it was voluntary, wasn't it? I didn't come over here and, and grab Michael and say, you're going to be a Nazarite. He had to do that on his own, didn't he? I didn't come over there to one of the ladies and say, you're going to be a Nazarite because the Lord says that it could be a male or a female, couldn't it? But I don't read of any females being Nazarites. If you find them, tell me so I know. But anyway, it was a voluntary situation. When we make a decision, when we've come to that age that we understand what God is, what he means to us, then it's voluntary for us to be immersed, isn't it? I don't think Leland and David handcuff people and throw them in the water, do they? So it's same situation. And the last part, which is probably important to us as Christians, is it's when they've made it, it must be kept. Because if it's not kept, then, then they have to make certain uh, allowances for it to make um, sacrifices and everything else. So same thing with us as a Christian. When we are immersed and we come out, does it stop there? That's just the beginning, isn't it? It says they continued steadfastly, didn't they, in Acts. So there's not much difference, is there? Any comments about these? When you go and turn to Numbers chapter 6, just go ahead and turn there real quick. In Numbers chapter 6, which is the chapter, it, in verse 2, which I have up here, it says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, uh, that's all I put up there. Were there conditions with this? You know, did they just say, well, I'm putting some time and effort in. What are the conditions? Let's read them. In verse 3, it says, He shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat any fresh grapes or raisin. So first of all, anything to do with the fruit of the vine, what? It's out, isn't it? Including raisins, um, grapes, the whole thing. Then when you come to verse 4, it says, All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. Verse 5, all the days of his vow, separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled, 
which he separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of, his hair, uh, of the hair of his head grow. So what's the next thing that he would do? Did he do like me? I know, the grandkids. He didn't cut his hair, did he? So, so far, no wine, no raisins, nothing like this. No razor shall um, touch his head. And then in verse 6, it says, All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. So, with this voluntarily, nothing from the fruit of the vine, not cut your hair, must not come near any dead body. When you look at this, <clears throat> are we missing anything? Because most of us, when we study this, what do we say? No fruit of the vine, no dead bodies, right? No haircut. But we're missing one thing. What are we missing? Bruce gets another uh, gold star. I'll have it next week. All the days of his separation, what will he be besides these things? He will be holy. He will be set apart for the Lord. He will be the Lord's. Everything that he does is what? Holy. And I consider that another attribute that's important because if we live out holiness in our lives, what happens? We start drifting, don't we? And if you start drifting, you won't do the other things that need to be done. Any comments about that? Well, uh, David brought up that um, there's been different people in the Bible that have been Nazarites, and I just want to give two here that we've, We've talked about some of it, and that's Samson. Leland taught us judges, and during this time that Samson came on the scene or arose, do you remember who the people were under? Their favorite people? The Philistines. And <coughs> with this, <coughs> they had been under them for something like 40 years, hadn't they? So here is Samson coming on the scene that was from birth, <coughs> excuse me, a Nazarite, and he takes care of a lot of Philistines, doesn't he? Now, he did some good things and he did some bad things, but he ends up pulling down the temple. He ends up losing his life. But we remember Samson, don't we? Because when they cut his hair, he lost his strength. But what happened? He grew back, didn't it? <coughs> Excuse me. And here is Samson giving us another person that is a Nazarite that delivered. Well, the next one is well known too. If you turn over, since we've already studied um, Judges, <coughs> if you turn over to 1 Samuel... In the very first chapter, you see that Samuel is born. 
With his birth, his mother basically puts him in line for the Nazarite. He came at the right time because within these first seven chapters, those people are in a bad situation, aren't they? You've got Eli whose sons have gone astray that shouldn't be doing what they do with sacrifices. They were wicked. With their wickedness, they end up being killed. Eli dies. The Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines. Israelites die in battle. It doesn't get much worse, does it? (laughs) When you go over to 1 Samuel 7, you see what Samuel did. When it says in verse 2 of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 7, it says, So it was that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim a long time, and it was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And listen to what the Nazarite says, Samuel. He says in verse 3, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths, from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you from the land of what? The Philistines. There's another uh, important part and I'll just make reference to it but in verse 4 it says so the children of Israel put away the Baals and Asherah serve the Lord only and Samuel says I will pray to the Lord for you and they gathered water and poured it out and they fasted and said we have sinned against the Lord. And in verse 8, it says, The children of Israel said, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. And you know, we end up seeing in verse 12 that Samuel takes stone. And what is that stone called? Anybody remember? Ebenezer. And he puts that stone out, And what does Ebenezer mean? We have it in a song. It's a stone of help, doesn't it? So here is Samuel, as a Nazarite, going through these things and coming directly to the people. Of course, we see different things that he did, seven, and I didn't want to go through all of them. But we see that Nazarites were involved with this, with with things in the Bible, just like David said, that were important that they made some good decisions. Any comments? When you look in your book that, that I have got together for you, you see on, uh, let me get to the page. You see on the page 10 that um, there's a big box there or a box that says, Nazarite, it doesn't say in obeying the gospel, but it says sacrifice. How is a Nazarite vow a sacrifice, if that's what I'm referring to? I've kind of given you the answer. Well, he does it voluntarily, doesn't he? So that's a sacrifice. He does, he, he goes through all those things no wine, cut, no cut your hair, um, don't be by a dead body, So, and be holy to the Lord. 
which requires some effort, doesn't it? Same way with us with a Christian, do we make sacrifices to be a Christian? What what do we sacrifice from a simplistic standpoint? What was it? Self. That's the real good point. Kind of encumbers everything. Uh, you, You can say money, can't you? When you decide to be a Christian. You can say time, energy, other things that you're involved with. The Christian comes first. So there's a lot going on here with this sacrifice. When you think of this as a, for us, and comparing it to the Nazarite, I, I put this verse up there, Luke 9, 23. It says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and I underline daily, and follow me. Somebody already said it takes self to do it. And as part of this, it says what? It says deny self. What does that mean to you and I as a Christian? But God first. What else? Okay, Paul said it's not him that lives, it's who? It's Christ living in me. What else? Lust of the flesh, pride of life, different things. I made it because I'm kind of simple. I put up here, you have to take on a new identity, don't you? Have you ever thought of that? That to deny yourself means that you have to take yourself away from what you've done, what your interests are, and do what? Take on a Christian identity, didn't it? It's something that you should be able to see. You should be able to hear, right, from that person. And this identity has to to go for humility, saying that I'm not as important as who? God, right? Or I'm not as important as another Christian, is it? It's saying that I put the importance on something else besides me. And it's saying yes to Christ and no to who? To self. So when you look at this, isn't it interesting the way the Lord does this through the Holy Spirit? Who does he start with? Me, right? He doesn't start and say, well, all these people need to be good people. They need to be in church. They need to do different things. What does he say? He says, you've got to start with your heart. You've got to start with where you are and get your heart right and understand this new identity. You're going to change. Your friends are going to change, aren't they? Your family's going to change, possibly. So there's going to be some changes, but what does he do? He directs us directly to ourselves. And this is that voluntary part with this Nazarite vow. Is somebody going to do it for him? He did it. 
He made the decision to be the Nazarite, to, be the, to do the vow. Lord says, we've got to do, take care of our own heart first. The second part is, it says, take up the cross. Does that mean we need to go get some four-by-fours or six-by-sixes and make some crosses and line them up? We'll put one for David. Well, we need several Davids. Is that what it means? It doesn't mean that, does it? But it means there's some cost, isn't there? (laughs) There's some cost for us. And when you look at that... It's about commitment, isn't it? And with this commitment comes sacrifice, because who sacrificed on the cross for us? Makes it easy to remember, doesn't it? And with this sacrifice, he set us on a journey. And through his blood, that journey's taken us to heaven. But it's, you know what it is? It's a load, isn't it? Because your time, your energy, you've got to read the Bible. You need to be involved with Christians. We need to help each other. We need to be consistent. Because we've studied that it's going to be a narrow path. So carrying that cross is not going to be easy. It's going to be a load. And it's a load that you've got to consider because I underlined up there, how often do you pick up that cross? It's daily. So you kind of park it, get up and start over again, don't you? So it's a constant thing. Well, when you look at this, I, I feel like not only the Lord tells us <clears throat> that we need to look at ourselves, but we understand that there's some cost and there's going to be a load on us, isn't there? But that load's going to take us to heaven, isn't it? just like the cross. Well, the last part is, what does he say after he said, you got to take care of your heart, (coughs) excuse me, you got to have that commitment and that sacrifice, and now what's involved? (coughs) Excuse me. If we're going to be Christ-like, what do we do? Do we just say, well, I'm a Christian now, it's all over. No, it's an imitation process. It's responding to, serving. I put up there continual pursuit, and it's action-oriented, isn't it? You remember when I said you can't be a spectator? Last lesson, you have to be a contributor. (laughs) It's a little different, isn't it? Because the onus is on us that after we've denied ourselves, we understand what the load's going to be, we still have a responsibility to follow the Lord, don't we? And his commandments. That's what happened with all this through here with the Old Testament. Any comments about this or any additions you want to make? Bruce is going to... Well, if you're going to be uh, Christ-like, you have to first arm yourself with the mind of Christ. And once you do that, you speak like Christ, you think like Christ, you react like Christ, and you walk like Christ. Uh, 
people tend to forget that Christ-like aspect that we're to live. Everything that we do uh, needs to be as Christ would have it, as he would uh, act here on the earth. And that includes mercy and grace, as he said, to those that abuse us and and revile us. It it, uh, is helping the poor. It is uh, being merciful to those who uh, don't deserve mercy and showing grace, but in everything our life ought to reflect Christ. That's that's being a Christian. That's putting on Christ after you're baptized. That's being known as uh, one who is a disciple of Christ. And if you're willing to wear that name, you got to do something, don't you? <laughs> and I think sometimes we don't look at it like we should. Any other comments? <clears throat> Good point. <clears throat> I heard a lesson. Tolly said it was rooted in love. And the lesson was what held Christ to the cross? And it was love. Not nails, but love held him to the cross, which I thought, I had never thought that way with the nails and stuff, but you're exactly right. It comes back to the heart, doesn't it? It's one of those heart things that says, in this denial and in this part that we say we're going to do, it boils down to, is our heart right with God? We sing that song, don't we? Anything else? When we go a little farther, you're familiar with this verse. It says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom, which goes along with the verse before. It's saying that if we're committed and we're on this movement, like Bruce says, and we're taking these attributes, are we worried about back here? We've got to understand, we've, we've got a pattern here to go by. And comes back to what Brother Maine had said a little bit, that in the book of Philippians, Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reach forward to those things that are ahead. But that wasn't the one thing that really he was going to. The one thing that he was going to is, What does he do? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So there is a benefit, isn't there, for this? The benefit is heaven, which we understand from a simple standpoint and understand the importance of it. But when you think about this, do you know any Bible character (coughs) that turned around and looked back? Who? Lot's wife. And one of the longest verses in the Bible is Luke 17, 32, and it says, remember Lot's wife, doesn't it? What did she do? She was told to follow out, right? Well, she perished. Well, Some people have said 
she was married to Lot. And in 2 Peter 2, it says Lot was a good man, wasn't he? Now, he had some faults because of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he was a good man. So she can't blame it on her husband, can she? Well, with that case with Lot, she was also told during this scenario, this place is getting ready to burn, isn't it? It, So she was warned of the danger, wasn't she? And we have men that come up here on Sundays and Wednesdays, and they do what we call an invitation, and they warn us of this, don't they? They warn us of the problems that can happen. She was warned, so there's, there's no excuse there, is there? With that warning, you got to remember, she went part way, didn't she? She did pretty good. You and I can go part way and still lose, can't we? She still perished, didn't she? And with her turning around, she perished for what reason? Because wasn't because of her husband, wasn't because she wasn't told, wasn't because she went part way. She sinned, didn't she? One sin. Just like that. You know, she was probably thinking about her former life, what she was going to be missing or things that were missing in her life as she left and was gone. You know, Abraham was told to get up and leave, wasn't he? Leave everything. Do what I say to do. That's what the Lord basically says. But she couldn't make it. She turned around, and she lost. That's not what Paul is saying here, is he? He's saying we have to have this goal in mind of going to heaven. Any comments about that? Well, one thing too, on page 12, I put the word separation. It says there is separation. If you go back to Numbers chapter 6, I don't know... If you um, would do this, I bet Leland did it because he likes numbers and things or looking at the number of times that things are written. But if you look from verse 1 to, I guess, about verse 21, what word just jumps out at you time after time after verse after verse? Separate. Or separate. Uh, my New King James Version uses the word separation or separated. And I think I counted it 11 times that it's in there. So I would think that the Lord thought this was pretty important. Because when you look at it a little farther, it says all the days he separates himself to the Lord. Not part of the time that he can say, well, i got to go do this. What was it? It's dedication. All the days. It also says, because of this separation to God, whose head is it on? 
Is it on his wife or his girlfriend? It's on him, isn't it? It's a voluntary thing and a personal issue. When we think of that and say there is responsibility, there is responsibility that's shown with the Nazarite, and it shows that for us as Christians, we have a responsibility because it's on our head, isn't it? Well, as we go a little farther, since naturally I'm hitting into some time, it says, therefore, come out from among them and be what? Separate, says the Lord. Do not touch which is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Come out from among them. Be separate. Don't touch which is unclean, and what will happen? I will receive you in 2 Corinthians uh, 6 and 17 and 18. Well, when we, when we look at this, what have we been compared to? Our, our bodies. It's the temple of what? Of God, isn't it? So here's a situation that says we're the temple of the living God. We need to get away from these things that are not right. We need to understand we have a Father in heaven that will take care of us and uh, David's been talking uh, about the Holy Spirit uh, in Acts, and we know that God, what, dwells with us and walks with us according to these verses. So with this, with this attitude, we need to understand that for us, there needs to be separation, doesn't there? We need to separate from the world, not be of the world, but What? in the world, right? And sometimes that's hard because there are people that want to ride the fence, don't they? Want to keep one leg over here for church and one leg in the world. That's not what it's saying, is it? It's not what the Lord is saying to you and I. If you think about this and you think about separation... When you look at separation, you've, you've seen people that have taken on like an order on TV, like a monk or an order of monk. What do they usually do? They go up into some mountain, don't they? And they herd together. Is that what the Lord wants us to do? Not really. I put up there that this Nazarite vow is public. What do you think I mean by public? It's among the people. There's no special place they go to. Exactly. It's, and people will know it, won't they? Because, I'm sorry, what would you say? Right. The Nazarite, completely open, all could see, and they could spot him a mile away. How do you spot a Nazarite? His hair. When you see that hair, you're going, it might be a Nazarite, right? Well, you also say that as a Christian, can they see who we are? Because they sure are not going to see my hair, are they? Most of the time I'm wearing a ball cap anyway. 
Are we consecrated? Are we dedicated? Are we showing commitment? And are we showing a separate life? A lot of times, we're not doing that. And what's really interesting about this, if you go to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, You know, chapter 11 is talking about some of the head covering. We also read this with the Lord's Supper. But in in verse 14, it says, Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, what is it to him? It's a dishonor to him. So when this Nazarite's walking around with other Jews... They know it's probably a Nazarite, but it's a dishonor, isn't it, to have long hair? But he made that choice, didn't he? In today's world, and some of you might disagree with me, it's a dishonor to be a Christian, isn't it, right now? We're few and far between. I'm not saying from us. I'm talking about from the world. They don't like to hear it. They don't like to know that you that you read the Bible. They, they don't want you to teach these things. And they don't understand that we need to be separate from the world. Doesn't mean we go out and cause problems, but it says we've got to be separate, don't we? So these men that, that accept this vow, it was dishonor to them. Well... When I say it's public, it says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, which is part of what? Sermon on the Mount. And it says we're salt, aren't we? And we're light and the importance of it. And then the last verse, it says, for whoever's ashamed of me and my words of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. I gave uh, Leland another verse on angels. When you see these vows and you see these Nazarite, the consecration that they've done and the things that they've done and the sacrifice and the separation, we have to ask ourselves, have we done the same thing as a Christian? Have we separated from the world and separated from other problems uh, of the world. Any last comments? Yes, sir. King James uses that word you just used, consecrated with separate too, and that has a to me, a deeper meaning. We are not only just separated, that we're going to stay over here, uh, away from that, just maybe even not a short way, but we are devoted absolutely uh, to Christ or to God. And, and uh, I like that word consecrated. I do too. It's a total commitment, isn't it? It's not just saying, I'm going to do it part-time. Anything else? Thank you for your attention and your comments.